podcast that investigates the experience of self, the events that have shaped our world, the people that we have become, by focusing on the person first. What's your earliest memory of somebody who was good at life? So I, I think good for me is, is, is very subjective. I think it's mm-hmm. extremely subjective. But I suppose the, the, the person who I look up to would be my, my grandmother. So, so Granny, who, who passed away in 2010. Uh, she devoted her whole life to her family, nine children. Gosh. Um, was divorced in the early 80s. Uh, and, you know, throughout the, throughout the 80s and 90s, when, you know, I, I, was, I was a child, I saw her every Saturday open her doors to the whole family uh, every single Saturday um, and ensure the family was cohesive and ensure we all met together. That's why I've got such a good relationship with my cousins today. Wow. So when she talked to you, she would be almost like the glue and the and the kind of connection and, and ask questions across the group and get everyone's opinions on stuff and Definitely. make sure someone wasn't experiencing life on their own. Yeah, and... I suppose one key strength that she had and something that I strive to achieve is that she was just so forgiving. Mm. Um, you know, when she was wronged by anybody, she just forgave them. She forgave them um, for the greater good of the family. And I think that is, yeah, is selfless. So how, how has that helped you, like forgiveness in your life? Have you Can you more easily forgive because you know why it's good to do that? Um, when I think about her, then it, it helps me to forgive. Uh, I, I, I can't, I, you know, I, I can't say I am um, I'm as forgiving, um, but I, I do try to be. Um, uh, you know, particularly when people are sorry um, for when I've been wronged, um, I, I do I do try. What about if they're not sorry though? I think that's harder. That feels to me like a proper leap. Yeah, yeah. if someone can do that, yeah, I'm in awe yeah, of those people. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think if it, if it's obviously wrong, then it's very hard to do. But if it's you know some, you've just got a different a difference of opinion with to, to somebody, I think trying to be open minded is actually is actually really important. Yeah. yeah. What was her goal with doing that? Why did you think? Why do you think she aimed for that? I think to her, family was just so important, and keeping the family together was her her, her sole objective. Yeah, um, and. I think that, as I say, has helped with the relationships of all of her, her daughters and sons, hmm. um, but also second and third generation where I've got, you know, a number of cousins, boys and girls who are like, just like brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's great. How are you going to keep that kind of um, idealism alive of being, I say idealism in a, in a, you know, ge- a generous way, not saying it's unrealistic, hmm. but it is a lot of for a lot of people, that's idealistic to be able to be like that. It's a phenomenal achievement. How do you keep that alive now that she's gone? Well, I'm not going to have nine children. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> um, but but I, I do think the relationship of my daughters with their cousins is really important. Yeah. I do think the relationship of me and my mum, my wife and her mum, again, again, are very important. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they lived a bit closer because they live in Manchester. Yeah. If they did, if they lived close, then we'd see them a lot more. Um, but you know, Christmas time, um, special occasions, particularly my daughter's birthdays, everybody comes together. Yeah, and we create that kind of family community feel. Also, how feeling to people who didn't have big families then around where you grew up? 
She must have known people who were kind of on their own or didn't have big families. Who, my gran? Yeah. yeah. Did you see her react to those people or be around those people? Yeah, I mean, she, she had she had a lot of friends. I mean, yeah. she grew up in a small island um, called Grenada in the Caribbean. Yeah. And the Grenadian community, uh, even though it's such a small island, you know, talking about less than 90,000 people, yeah. uh, I think, currently, that they came together, particularly at times of particularly at times of grieving. Um, so there's a tradition uh, after somebody dies where you'll get, you know, a number of Grenadians will come to your house. And actually after, after my grand died, you know, the, the few days, the week after my, my grand died, yeah. people would come into the house and singing, you know, singing hymns. And it's really, it's really quite, um, it, it was, it was, it was quite, in a strange way, it's quite uplifting, you know, to, to, to have, the, you know, all these people coming together in support of, of our family, really. I mean, it sounds like they also know, knew what to do. Mm. Uh, sometimes I think, if, you know, if I look at the, how my my parents grew up in, I don't know if they were even that religious at all, but in East London, and it felt like everyone just kind of just loomed around. More, you know, having a chat, having a, a few jokes here and there. Mm. But there didn't seem to be a purpose. It was like you just turn up, just make sure you turn mm. up, mm. you know, mope about a bit, make a <laughs> few uh, jokes, <laughs> have some beers, eat some, you know, pies or whatever, and then uh, leave. Um, I love communities that seem mm. to have a real sense of celebrating the life of an individual. Yeah, yeah. Like they know they have a plan for when people pass away. Yeah. And they give people a structure of, of how to, grieving just not about being sad also, but, you know. Yeah, no, I, can, I completely agree. Yeah. And actually, I do think that as we, as we become, you know, second and third generation, we start to lose that. We yeah. start to lose that community feel. So, I mean, I can count on... on Two hands, the, the number apart ex, apart from my family, the number of Grenadians that, that you know that I know in London, for example. Yeah. Um, so, so you start to lose that that that, that, that community feel as you, as you become second and third generation. That's something I'm actually quite yeah quite sad about actually. Yeah. Do you think? And I'm just going to jump into yeah. it only because it's just interesting and topical. Mm. Do you think things like social media, the people look back on that and think it wasn't regulated as tightly around? Um, how it can split apart families into rooms in the house and mm. not performing kind of regular rituals of even like having dinner together and things like that. Yeah. Do you think that will look be will people will look back on the the guinea pigs of this of this experience over the last say ten or so years and think we should have regulated that more differently or there'll be a different view? Yeah, I, I mean I'm as guilty as anybody in terms of being on my phone and all the rest of it. So, um, so so, so going back to my, the Saturdays at my, at my grand's house. Yeah, um, you know clearly if you've got like I think I had like 30 cousins, right? So, or even 40. Um, so, so it was very difficult to sit around a table, right? So what we used to do is put a cloth on the floor and we'd all kind of sit around the cloth. And, really? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, and it's, wow. we used to do it every single, every single Saturday. Um, you know, I do think that that kind of community feel, mm. that, or even just a, a family type of feel is, is, is disappearing. Yeah. Um, because people are, you know, on their phones all, all, all the time, social media. Like, for example, I, I don't, I mean, you, you, you probably remember this when you're growing up and you're on the, you're on the landline, you, you're dialing, yeah. you're dialing, you know, your, your friend or whatever, and your mum's kind of picks up the phone upstairs and you like, put the phone down, mum. You know, all, all, yeah. So, so all, all that kind of, all that kind of, I mean, I don't even, I can't remember the last time I used my landline. Yeah. Um, a lot of the connections that I have now with the friends I grew up with, it's all by you know text or WhatsApp. It's, it's, yeah. So it's very, it's actually very rarely, very rare that I have you know let's say a half an hour conversation with somebody on the phone. Yeah, very rare. Yeah, and, and part of that is obviously as you, you get older, you get your own responsibilities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it is quite sad that, yeah. that you know you actually think 
if, if you ask me, you know, when, when was the last time you spoke to, you know, one of your friends in Manchester? And I think, okay, I spoke to them yesterday. Actually, I didn't actually speak to them. I, no. I, sent, I sent them a text. <laughs> I hear with the guys in here who are kind of in their 20s, they, they use that word interchangeably. Mm. Spoke to them. Oh, it was an email. Did you actually speak to them? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't actually. And I, 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 I think actually just going back, the good thing about the workplace, particularly with flexible working um, and, you know, lack of face-to-face time. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it is important at times to bring everybody together. Yeah. Um, if you want to create a, you know, a, a really cohesive, tight culture, yeah. everything can't be done in email. It can't be done. The, you, you need to bring people together at, at, at some point. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Some psychologists have posited that um, if you have a relationship with your buddy from university or something, and it's on WhatsApp and you haven't seen him or her for a year, there are actually three people in that relationship. Or four mm. people, right? Mm. There's your avatars of how they interpret your words. Mm. That becomes its own entity. There's you, how you actually are, how you think and feel and were, were feeling at that time when you said that. Mm. And, you know, you can imagine expand from there, right? Mm. And that's fascinating when you think about that because, we, you know, evolutionarily, we would do things face-to-face. I mean, there was even a thing about trust recently, another book about trust, about it's all to do with face-to-face mm. uh, and so much, so many decisions can be – or the centre of some terrible outcomes, if you zoom back to the decision, they were made without face-to-face, one person affecting another. And a lot of it is in people's heads of what's being, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's an interesting concept. How do you reconcile that into your, um, so like the ideal way you want to be in your life mm. and how your life actually is? Mm. So I, I don't want to use the word spiritual because I don't really want to pertain to a, a God entity, mm. but almost like... The, the way you want to be living, you can use that term if that's what you want to mm. define it by, but your better self or the greater thing than you, the way you want to be in the world mm. for you and your family and everything, and then how you actually are on a day-to-day basis. Mm. How closely reconciled are those two things for you? Mm. So they overlap? Some people say they don't even overlap. Mm. Just slightly twisting the question a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I do think that it seems to be that we're seeing an increase in people feeling lonely. Um, an increase or at least a greater awareness of mental health um, challenges that people have. Mm. And I do think that to some extent that lack of face-to-face time mm. doesn't help that. So the type of person I want to be is, uh, first of all, I want to be, one of the things I want to be in the workplace is a, a good leader. And I, I'm determined to be the best leader that I can. Um, and to be a good leader of people, I, I think that you, you have to you have to spend a lot of time with people, really understanding them, uh, and really understanding their characters, and really understanding how they react to certain things. Do you have to like people? I don't think so, uh, I, I, but but I think you've just got to respect them. You've got to be open minded. Respect um, to, to, to to be to be a good leader. Um, I mean, naturally. I, Personally, I don't tend to dislike people. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can dislike something that, that they've said, um, but that's not disliking them as, as, as individuals. Um, so I, I, I do think to be a leader, um, you need to... I, I do think that the, the given the world's changing and we're moving to more diverse workplaces, we, we're trying to have more inclusive cultures. I do think as a leader, to be you know this inclusive uh, inclusive type of leader, you do need to really build on on relationships and that's the same outside of work as well right so yeah. um, with your friendships with your family with your children again that's all about to, 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 to me 
um, to be a successful father and husband, it's about building strong relationships with your wife and your family. Yeah. Uh, and again, you can only really do that by, you know, having that engagement uh, and, and having and, and having that contact. Yeah. Do you, how much? How important is listening to that entire kind of program of, of being a good leader, being a good listener? I think it's really important. Yeah. I think it's, it's so important to understand. I think you've got to be able to empathise. Yeah. You've got to empathise with people's differences. And I think that, that, that I think that's some of the, one of the big challenges that leaders face today is to really understand people's, to walk in somebody else's shoes. I think it takes a lot of time. It takes yeah. a lot of time unless you've experienced it yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's inter- I'm not casting disposals on any company at all here, but it is interesting how people can work in a company, get promoted to a manager or a leader of some description, and actually, you know, if, you, if there was like a, a plane crash and it was like a lost moment, that person would naturally rise to the leader of the group, but they're given that responsibility. Yeah. Yet they may not have travelled the world or be able to empathise with people because they may have seen the world through a certain prism or a, a worldview that could have been built by the community they were in or the school they went to or you know, people they they happened to hang around with, right? Yeah. That How as a leader do you deal with coming across other people who maybe lack a bit of that empathy, empathy thing? You know, they have some shortcuts in their thinking which you look at and go, that's probably not going to be useful to yeah. look at things that way. How do you deal with seeing that in the whole, you know, economic landscape? Mm. You, you're out there... You, not necessarily your company you're in, but you're out there engaging with the world. Mm. How, how did you experience that and how do you deal with that? I, I think you've got to be open-minded. So just because somebody's got a different view to you, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're necessarily closed-minded. Um, but you've got to try and empathise and understand their view. And I think this, this, this again, is, is really important. But I think as, com- as a company, uh, as a business, then you have a responsibility to make sure that your managers and your leaders are trained the right way. Mm. And particularly for this new environment we seem to be working, we seem to be moving in where culture and a strong culture and an inclusive culture is so important. Why is it so important? So the way, the way I see it, and maybe this is the wrong way to see it, but um, I think that the greater difference you have to your general workplace the bigger the adjustment is. So everybody, when they go to, when they go to work, they make an adjustment. Whether it's you know I don't wear a tie at home, or you know I don't wear shoes at home, or you know I wear you know I tend to wear like my tracksuit bottoms and stuff. I would never go to work like that, right? Um, but, but but everybody makes an adjustment. You know, typically when I first came down to London, I had a, a much stronger Mancunian accent than I do now, and, and maybe you know as soon as I'm in Manchester for five minutes, it really comes out again. So, so everybody makes everybody makes that adjustment. The more different you are you make a, a bigger adjustment. But the bigger the adjustment is, the less you're being yourself. Um, and I truly believe in order to get the best out of people, they have to be able to at least bring a lot of themselves to work. Yeah. But if you're adjusting so much, yeah. then the likelihood is you're going to bring less and less of yourself to work. Yeah. Um, so in order to get the best out of people, and also for people to enjoy themselves at work, totally. which I think is important. Um, I do think that companies have a responsibility to create that inclusive culture that people can be themselves. Is there a parallel between the decisions that people make when they're at, at work 
and how much they're allowed to feel that like themselves. So I'll give you an example. If I don't really feel like I'm acting as Ben Burling in this situation, but I'm acting as you know, an, a big face, as global company, whatever, actually it's easier for me to park my bad decisions with these lot and go, you know, so sometimes in the financial service industry you see bad behaviour and it's people, they don't, at the other end, they don't, always think it's that bad. Almost mm. like the doping scandals, right? Mm. They said literally to be at the front, you had to be doing that too. So yeah. it still was equal because we were all doping. Yeah. But do you think that's there's a part of that as well? Like in companies' inability to recognise the human there, they're also, they can beget some of those bad groupthink behaviours. Or is that too much of a leap? No, I think, I think you can pull off a number of examples of bad behaviours and bad practice. I think ultimately to get the best results... I just think inclusion is is just is just really important. I, I just yeah, I just think it's really important. Mm. What other things um, in your life, you know, have you thought? Because it feels like there's a big part of you then in your job, right? Yeah. Do, do you think you're, that yeah, is true? Yeah. Just come back to your last point a little bit. Um, I do think the more you can bring yourself to work, the more comfortable you are in the workplace, and the more confident you are. Yeah. Um, there are so many people that I know. I do a lot of mentoring, uh, a lot of mentoring. And when I speak to people, particularly the more different they are, they tend to be you know, more anxious, tend to be more nervous, tend to be you know scared of making mistakes. Mm. Personally, myself, you know, I, I started like that. that. That's exactly the way I started. When um, you know. The, the year 2003. <laughs> um, yes, yes, so I'm not, I mean, sorry, where uh, were you? You were in a work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. University or work? At work. At work. So, 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 I thought so, it was your first job, you mean? Yeah, my first job. But, but yeah. to be honest, when I first went to university, I felt exactly the same way. You did. When I first went to, to, to um, Sixth Form College, I felt exactly the same way. And I think, I think one benefit I've had, actually, is that, you know, when I went to school, um, I've always been very, you know, I've always been different. Because um, I went to I went to Catholic schools. Uh, and it was dominated by you know, white Irish people, um, yeah. and then the other half was probably white English people. So I've always been like, you know, this um, call it an outlier, exception, <laughs> yeah, exception. That's a good, that's a better word. I've always been an exception, not outlier. <laughs> always been an exception. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, but but you know, but all, all throughout my life, and I think one thing that really helped me as well is when my mum she went to London uh, and she left me when I was kind of seven years old in Manchester with my auntie. Um, and it just taught me, again, I, so I, I had to deal with change a lot. Well, she went um, for work? Yeah, she went for work. Yeah, she went to teach it. So she had not left me. <laughs> she went to teach it in, 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 um, in, in London. So what, five days a week and then come back? No, she used to kind of, you know, it used Commute. to be, you know, you know, pretty much like four or five weeks. Um, oh, geez, yeah, right. she took my brother. Um, my brother was like... He's older. He was, no, she was, he was um, two, two years old. Uh, and you know, she she just recognised that the school I was at was such a good school. Yeah. That she didn't want to take me out of the school. Yeah. Uh, and I, so, so throughout throughout my life, I've I've been this kind of this um, different from everybody else. Um, either at school, uh, at college, I've had that change when my mum went away for you know for you know I think it was eight months before she she came back and got got a job in Manchester. Then you know sixth form university, I, I, and so I've had that. All my life, where I've been, you know, been in the minority, um, either you know from an ethnic perspective. When I got to university and um, and the workplace from a, a, a regional perspective as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and 
Um, and also, you were the only one without a mum permanently around, I'm guessing. Uh, your school, right? A school, yeah. But oh, no, that's only for a short period, though. Eight and, months. And, and, yeah, eight months, yeah. yeah. And um, What did that feel like, mate? I, so the other thing was my, my, my dad, I'm a single-parent family as well, right? So my dad just hasn't, you know, wasn't wasn't really there when I, when I grew up. Um, so at the point, that's how I, you know, and my auntie did a great job, right? I mean, she was she was basically like a mum to me for, for for eight months, but it was it was tough, right? It was tough. Um, Can I ask? Did that feel like punishment at the time? Do you think like, hang on, I'm the one doing good here. This yeah. is great. I've got the why am I why are you leaving? You know, yeah, it, it was. How did you experience it? I, I honestly think it really toughened me up. Um, it yeah. really toughened me up. Um, the first two months were really hard because it just, you know, this is someone that is. I was, I was seven, seven years old, eight years old. Yeah. So, 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 so it was, you know, you've been there, your mum's been there for, for, for this long and all of a sudden she's not there. Yeah. And it was like a vacuum. Uh, yeah. And my mum always says to me, like, when she came back, I was almost like a different person, right? Because, yeah, I was, I wow. was yeah. And, and what were you like? Yeah, she just, just said I was just a lot more, a lot more aware of things. You know, partly it was, it was I, I, I was at home with my, you know, my baby brother and my mum. And then all of a sudden you're with your auntie and your, cousin who's the same age same age as me but yeah. she's a, she's a it's a lady yeah so so, so it, the dynamic in the household is completely different completely right? switched yeah yeah, yeah. wow so, so um, what you're more sharper more aware of things or you know she just said i was more, less you're less needy yeah i think less needy it's more streetwise more yeah yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've got loads of images in my head now what you would look like <laughs> flipping a coin <laughs> hey you coming back <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, but I, I do think that, that all those experiences um, meant that, or, or meant that, I was used to feeling alienated a, a little bit, and used to this adjust, adjusting, adjusting mm. to fit in. Uh, uh, but 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 more and more, I, well, I realised that actually being different yeah. wasn't necessarily a weakness, and actually you could use it to, as a strength, superpower. Um, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And um, but but now. Now, you know, I think that pretty much I bring a lot of myself to work as you yeah. become more senior, you become more confident. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't try to hide my, my Mancunian accent anymore. It just, it just, it just diluted. <laughs> Do you be a London accent for the record? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't go that far, did you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I definitely not. Um, so, 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 yeah, I do, yeah. I do think that that adjustment in some ways has been has been has been a lot a lot easier a lot easier for me. So you told me we met uh once and you said you had a, a teacher at uni, I think it was uni, or maybe it was just before you went, who said, you know, you're really good at maths. You may want to consider doing this. Because I think didn't you have another idea of what you wanted to do? Was it accountancy? It was uh, actuarial. Actuarial, yeah. yeah. And he's or it was a guy, wasn't he? He said yeah. maybe you could go in this direction. Yeah. So um did you start to uh, exhibit, you know, Let's just use that phrase of like special pill, uh, special skills or superpowers at uh, uni of like I'm actually really good at this and you know I'm materially better than other people in this particular area. This is something I could actually do. This is something I'm really good at. Mm. Did you experience that just then? Uh, was that the beginning of that at university, or was it before then? I always knew that my, my math skills were, were were strong because I got you know I, I got an A star at GCSE. I got the award, uh, the math award for my school. Um, oh, what, so, like 15, 16? Yeah, so, so, so yeah. I, I always knew that, that there was, there was, and I enjoyed doing it as well. I really enjoyed it. But I've got to say, when I went from A-levels to university, yeah, the standard of sure. maths there was like, I was thinking, 
I was like, I, I enjoy, I, I enjoy maths. I don't enjoy it this much. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then, then, you know, I applied like crazy to do, to do actuarial, actuarial science, actuarial consulting. I finally got a job at Aon Consulting. Yeah. Uh, graduate program, eight graduates started with me in London and another, I think five in Harrow and another three in Farnborough. And then I realized again that, that, you know, it's another kind of knocking me down a little bit in terms of in terms of how good I, how good how good I thought I was at maths because then really? the people there were just like you know very very good at maths. Was um, their background similar to yours? Um, no, so I did economics at university. I think a lot of the people who excelled actuary actuarial consulting Pure or excelled maths. through exams, it's, it's, it's maths, yeah. Yeah. And um, but I hated it. You know, I absolutely hated yeah. it. I I lasted eight months in actuarial consulting. Uh, where you're assessing liabilities to pension schemes. And I just didn't find it interesting. It wasn't my passion. And then it was almost a blessing in disguise. And I do think I'm very lucky in, in, in right throughout my life, actually. It's a blessing in disguise where there's a training session on investment consulting. And in the office? In the office. Nice. And it was the investment consulting team yeah. came to talk to us about investment consulting. Yeah. And I was like, I was thinking, I sat there and I was thinking, this is what I want to do. Well, the other was your action for your other buddies. Um, the, the, so, so it's, it's, it's <laughs> Does really, not. It's really interesting because well, I'll finish the story first. So, 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 then, then, so then, no, then, then I moved to investment consulting. Yeah. But I just I went up to the I went to the head of investment consulting's door, knocked on his door, and said, "Look, you know, I want to join investment consulting." And then a month later, you know, I'd have been interviewed and I'd started in investment consulting. So, yeah. so what that taught me is that taking risk and being brave was really important. Yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, afterwards, because then I was in the same team as the people that that, that would, did the training session. So I asked them, I said, you know, you know, how, what was the feedback on the training session? And they said that basically everybody marked them down, <laughs> apart from apart from one person. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess <laughs> So, so when you were making these decisions, let's. I want to know what how how you've either evolved or expanded on what you you were. When you're in that first couple of weeks, let's say some other uh, person come up to you and said, "I picked the wrong thing. I think I, I don't. I don't. I'm really not enjoying this. I've done like three or four external meetings. It's really not for me. It's not what I thought it was." What advice would you have given them? Um, so back then, I would have said because you lasted eight months, right? Yeah. Back then, I would have said you got to stick. You know, stick to it. Um, you know, you don't give up, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't, you try not to fail. You keep, you keep going yeah. and eventually it might come good. I wasn't trying to pick this word out, but it did pop up there. Did, so how come you, or let me, maybe I should ask you the question. Did you see that eight months as failure? And like, did you experience any shame around that before you then found the groove that then catapulted you through and where you are now? That's a really good question. And I've never, I've never thought about it like that. Um, but maybe if somebody else was telling me then, I would have seen it like that. The way I saw it then is I'm not very happy in this role. And I go far as saying I was deeply unhappy. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just because of the job. It was a changing environment as well. Yeah. You know, moving into London, and I was living with friends, but, you know, it, it was just, it just, I just didn't feel comfortable in that environment. Um, the exams I was doing, the actuarial exams, I wasn't enjoying them. And it was almost like, you know, I was, I was thinking, at that point I was thinking a lot about going back to Manchester. Really? Yeah. Uh, what was it about the environment? I've got to understand. What it, can you just describe it to me? First of all, I didn't have any money. Yeah. Um, I, I ran up a lot of debt at university. Yeah. And 
you know, I was having financial problems. That's yeah. the, the first point. Yeah. My friends who I was living with didn't seem to be having those financial problems. What were their jobs? Um, they were, one was in accountancy and one was oh. in, actually both, one was in consulting, like management consulting, one was in accountancy. So it's not a million miles away. Yeah, it's not, 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 yeah. Not, all in finance, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we all did economics together. Oh, you did, right. Yeah. And um, yeah, so so my, my, my girlfriend, now my wife, was still at university. Um, you know, when I used, to, I used to go back every two weeks, every three weeks, uh, and used to see like students enjoying themselves. <laughs> That's got to be the worst experience. Yeah, exactly. Walking onto like a fun fair. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. hi. Yeah. <laughs> then I was going to the library with my books to study. You know, just, um, you know, I used to go up to, you know, go up to Manchester as well. And, and I'd, I'd see that, you know, that family. Like, yeah. I was missing that those Saturdays, right? Totally, yeah. So, so even at university, this is interesting, even at university when I was away at Warwick, I'd still go back for like big periods of time yeah. and I'd experience that Saturday with my, and my, and my, grand, and my grannies. Sure. When I got, came to London, it was just a lot harder to do. Yeah. Uh, and particularly I was going to see my girlfriend at Warwick as well. So I, it, it, just, it just felt that, you know, the environment wasn't for me. And, and I, but I felt that if I could change or become more passionate about what I did at work, yeah. then all of that would flip. And that's what happened. You know, when, when I went to do the investment consulting, I realised investing was my passion. Yeah. And it's something that I really enjoyed and I got job satisfaction from it. Yeah. So, you know, that that to me was a big turning point in my career. And just, sorry, going on to your, no, no, your no. point around what would I say now yeah. to, to somebody in that situation, I would say you've got to follow your heart. You've got to be, you've got to be happy in the role that you're doing. Um, so don't settle for being in a role that you, you, you're really unhappy in. What happens if someone says, yeah, but I'm really worried about moving around, trying all these different things that aren't me, mm. and then someone's saying, I don't know who I am. Yeah. So you, you've, got, you've got to try and empathise, right? So is that's very difficult for me to do because, in this sense, because I haven't really experienced that. But my experience and what I try to pass on to people that I mentor is follow your heart, follow your passion. Um, if you follow your passion, the likelihood is is that you're going to get job fulfilment. Mm. Uh, and I, I think that's really important. Don't really care about what other people think. Mm. You've got to be happy in yourself. Yeah. Uh, because if you're not happy in yourself, then the likelihood is you're not going to do a good job and people think worse of you anyway. Yeah, and you're living for somebody else's idea. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Did you feel like you um, belonged in the community you found in the investment, eight months into investments consulting? Do you feel you, you found a community you belonged in more? Or did you feel, did you feel belonging in the first one, the um, actuarial consultancy? No. So there's no belonging either. Because yeah. it, it could be like they really liked you and wanted you there and they yeah. were like, they, they, they were loving you, but yeah. maybe you just didn't connect. Yeah. So it could feel like there was a belonging that was trying to yeah. connect, yeah. but that wasn't even, that wasn't happening. Yeah, so, so belonging is really important. So I, I kind of went through part of my childhood and so I don't think I've ever felt belonging in the workplace at all. Like from, or at school or at college or at university, where I have felt belonging it's on those Saturdays at my granny's house when I went home and, you know, my, when my mum was there. And, um, um, but even actually when, when I was, even when, to some extent, when I was going, when my mum was away for those eight months and I was going back to my auntie's house, I still felt a belonging there, you know? Yeah. Um, but, so, so I, I've never really felt in my life a true belonging to where I went. But what's, what has happened is as I've been able to be more of myself, yeah. I've felt a greater feeling of belonging over the years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, 
Gosh, that's yeah. really interesting to process. Oh, so, so, and sorry, just going back to the sorry, yeah. sorry, you um, left me processing yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. So, so, so when I moved to investment consulting over actuarial consulting, I probably did feel, a, 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 I probably did have a greater feeling of belonging. Um, and part of it was because when I looked up at the more senior people in the business, I, I, I thought, actually, I'd like to be, I would like to be like them. Yeah. I would like, I see skills that they have, which I'm, I, which I'm, I think would, would benefit me in, in, in my life. But, but, but what I felt on the actuarial side when I looked up and I saw the principals, you know, the top actuaries, the chief actuaries, I just thought, I, I, I don't want to be there. No. I, and, and, and that, that to me was, that, that told me everything. It was almost like there, there, was, yeah. no, there was no need of progressing because yeah. I didn't want to be there in the, in the first place. No, so, no. Yeah. Who do you look up to? So you set yourself up for this one. Yeah. Who do you look up to on the investment side then? Was there someone you saw behavior, behaving in a certain way or being a certain person? When I was at Aon or, or just in, in general? Kind of since you got into actual investment management for a product provider. Yeah, okay. I think that, it's going to sound cheesy, um, the head of, the current head of my team, head of, head of my desk, Emil, um, he is, uh, Van den Helleberg, he is a great leader. Uh, yeah. Honestly, the culture that he's created in the asset allocation team that I sit in is, 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 is phenomenal. Um, I won't talk too much about him because you might be listening um, but um, you know someone like a, a Ray Dalio at, at Bridgewater again what he's written about culture yeah. and um, being able to create a cohesive investment team I think it's phenomenal his principles I've got his book um, the principles that he abides by I, I just think are really incredible and, and actually are a great read for anybody who wants to build any kind of team. Yeah. Has your perception of what going to work, it's really been interesting, right? So since you, so we're rough, similar age, right? So the world has changed kind of dramatically, technologically, culturally, mm. um, as we've been growing up in, in an industry. I remember, I've probably said this a few times on this podcast, I remember doing my original subjects, which I kind of messed up, photography and music. And I remember going to work at a bank because I just needed some money. And I remember turning up and then thinking, the only thing that was good on my CV was the posh school I went to. And I looked like a little bit of a bloody nuisance to somebody. But um, if I could speak in a certain way on the phone to clients, I was worth getting a temp job, right? And I remember as I progressed and met managers and got on with people down the pub and blah, 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 I remember that, looking at them and then thinking, what do you study? And I was like, I've got nothing, <laughs> nothing to show. Uh, the sense of this industry doesn't want you became a little bit of a mantra in my head or doesn't need you. Maybe it wasn't even that, um, you know, it was just mildly, you know, indifferent to me. So um, I remember think, thinking that. And then when I started doing work for it as a, a provider from the outside, I started getting some meaning and uh, kind of, going to some managers who kind of gave me a bit of endorsement and then gradually, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, now I look at these employers and think there's so much more they think they should be offering their employees. Um, I'm not saying, by the way, I would have been anywhere near a, a useful person in a, in a company yeah. if I hadn't been looked at by like that. But there's a lot of people who look at uh, the attitudes or the perceived attitudes of certain companies and think, I don't think I want to work there because I don't think they want someone like me there and they're not doing much about it. And that's massively changed over the years. Do you think companies should kind of care more about the hours that people spend working for their business. Do you think mm -hmm. that's that's changed 
And do you think you really think it's going in the right direction or not going there quick enough? So many questions for the price of one. Sorry, yeah, mate. It's, it's all right. Um, so I, I do think companies, as you say, companies are more aware now that you can't just look at somebody's resume or CV and say they went to this school, went to this university, they must be a good hire. Yeah. I, I think there's a number of reasons for that. Um, firstly, the resume tells you, you know, almost academically what somebody's done. It doesn't tell you, you know, where they were in the playing field when they started. Right. That's the first thing. So contextualised recruiting, I think, right. is, is, is really important. Yeah. It doesn't tell you about somebody's drive, somebody's determination. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't tell you about their their kind of EQ rather than... It probably doesn't even tell you about their IQ, to be honest, but it doesn't yeah. tell you about the EQ, you know. And yeah. I think EQ, I think, is so important for future leaders. Yeah. So, you know, whilst I still think there's roles... Don't get me wrong for, you know, the technical experts sure. who, who, you know, struggle to communicate and don't want to lead. Uh, I think to be a true leader, that EQ is just is becoming more and more important. As teams become more diverse, as we, we start to think about inclusion, I think EQ and understanding different personalities, understanding people's emotions, empathising with people – just becomes more and more important. Yeah. So do you think companies need to kind of be more to an employee? They need to be more to them in their whole life. If they're bringing their whole self to work, yeah. what's the company bringing to them? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think you're right. I think things like um, you know, family days, flexible working, these things are, are, are vital if you want to attract if you want to attract the future talent, yeah. um, you've got to be thinking, you know, what does the employee want? Yeah. Um, and if you want to attract, if you want to attract the, the, the best The talent, best people, yeah. yeah. Um, how have you, have you benefited from conflict in your life? I think, I think we all do. Um, I think it's really interesting when you see my, I'm seeing my daughters grow up now, one's six and one's two. And, you know, they, they do clash, you know, a fair amount. They clash now differently than they were doing six months ago. Um, you know, the, the pettiness now is getting less and less. Uh, but I think you need to start having that conflict in order to, to know how to react to it. Yeah. I also think as well that if you truly believe in diversity of thought, yeah, then in order to generate better outcomes for clients and better and better outcomes in general yeah you need to have people that think differently right you, yeah you, you have to so so by definition conflict is almost necessary to get to a better outcome yeah, yeah. so do you encourage kind of you know conflict or uh discussion in that way of uh, opposing views in your immediate team and in anything that you i i, I try to yeah. i try to Sometimes it can be difficult because some people just don't don't want to engage in that, right? Um, but yeah. um, as a, as a general team, the asset allocation headed by Emil, he definitely encourages it. Yeah, uh, and, and actually, you know, a lot of the time, again, you know, talking about true leadership, he won't have a view. Yeah, he'll sit back and let people debate their view. Yeah, uh, and let and let the let the conflict play out. Yeah rather than just coming with a view straight away and just drive the whole conversation. And I think that, that again, is not only true leadership, yeah. but it leads to better outcomes or, 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 or overall. Yeah. yeah. And people also, they need to be listened to and also feel like they've been listened to. Yeah. Yeah. So they respect the opposing view when it comes and they're still I, engaged. I, I agree. And 
I think over time, yeah, I'm getting there, not there. Yet. <laughs> but, but, but the the I think I've learned to be more open-minded. I've yeah. learned to recognize that everybody has a different perspective. And it's not necessarily, even though your ideals may be suited for you, yeah. they're not suited for everybody. Um, so, so it's so important to be open-minded and to take and listen, take on people's opinions and, and actually respect them. How has your name shaped you? Um, well, it's a bit of a mouthful. Justin Chukuma Anukasi is, my, is my, my full name. Oh, say uh, the full name. Justin Chukuma Anukasi. Chukuma Onokusi. Yeah. I say Onokusi. Is that not the right way? Not really. I will say it properly. It's a better attempt than, than, than a lot of other stuff. So I'll give you credit. So, no, no, so um, how does it shape me? So, well, firstly, like, I mean, when I was growing up, teachers always used to spell it wrong. So that's a, that's a, a painful thing. What was that uh, like? It was very annoying, actually. I'm not, I used to annoy my mum a lot. Like, yeah. My mum would be like, you know... Because O N U E, and the teacher always used to do O N E U, and it just used to it used to wind my mom up so much. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I always yeah. So now I always I, but but the, 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 the most annoying thing um, about my name is I used to be on the phone a lot. Yeah. And um, when I first did, particularly investment consulting, I was the manager research role when I was at Merrill's, um, and you're on the phone speaking to um, a salesperson uh, at a, at, a, at a, a fund manager. And you need them to send you something. Yeah. And you've got to spell out your name yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Uh, um, and on email. Yeah. You, you see, you, 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 you know, Justin O N for November, yeah. U E K W yeah. U S for Sierra. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and I had to do it all the time, right? Because there's no, no way of spelling my name. Yeah. So, so um, that, was, that was, that was very annoying. Um, but um, so, how would yeah. you feel about this? I had a manager in a company mm. before, uh, long, long ago. Yeah. And, a, a, a chap sat next to me and he had a uh, kind of quite a complex Indian surname, complex to this guy. Mm. He went, no, from now on you're Saeed. Um, and it was like a, not Smith, but it was something like that. Yeah. Literally first day in front of everybody, this kid was like 19 years old. And uh, there was probably a chuckle and he probably chuckled himself. I went, all right, I'm just going to do that. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, I'd never do it. I'd never say it. Um, but I do think that everybody's different. Um, so, for example, I've got a nickname, and, and my nickname, you know, Anukasi is Nuki, and 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 that's just that's just from playing football, right? You know, people would say, okay, you know, rather than you've got to shout across the field, yeah, yeah, just need one or yeah, two yeah, syllables. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And just Justin wasn't enough for them, apparently. Yeah. So, 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 but 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 that's a stayed vibe. It stayed with me, and, and and to be honest, yeah, it doesn't really bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, but I do recognise that if you if you if you want to encourage someone to bring themselves to work. Uh, or you want to encourage someone to be themselves, you've probably got to address them as, as they want to be addressed. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really fussed about, about how, how people address me. That doesn't, that doesn't affect me, but I recognise that it can affect a lot of people. If, you, if you're already feeling alienated, that it, it can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've covered a little bit about death as well, but what is your relationship on a daily basis with death, if it's daily at all? Do you think about it a lot? Not at all, really. I mean... You know, clearly my, my grandmother died, uh, my grandfather died um, when, I was, when I was younger. My wife's grandmother um, passed away. Um, I've had a lot of friends whose you know, parents have passed away and so on and so forth. And, and, and all those have you know, been you know, pretty sad times, really. Um, I, I do think it's important to celebrate life at funerals rather than, rather than just mourn. Yeah. Um, 
and I'd, I'd want, you know, if I passed away, I'd want, I'd want it to be a really uh, celebration of, of, of my life. Mm. Um, the, the one really strange thing that, that, that I have is that I, I get this dream now and again where, and it's not, it's not death, so to speak, it, where I'm in a coffin, but I'm alive in a coffin. And maybe this is very bizarre and, and I can't get out. And I, I just have this like, I, I, you know, just, just now and again, I get this, this, this dream and it, it's recurring. Sure. Um, so since when? Um, probably the last 15, 10, 15 years. So, oh, yeah. so proper recurring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not. I mean, it's not super often. It might be every six months, every nine months. But it just it just happens now and again. Once a year is enough. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and what happens? Could you kind of try and get out? No, I wake up. I can't get out and I wake up. Oh, so the moment you yeah. take a just take a breath in. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I don't know how long. I, I, I never remember my dreams properly. Oh right. Um, but yeah. But I I wake up. And it's like, I I just. I just um, God, and I think oh, I'm not trapped anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's just, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit bizarre. Um, but uh, yeah, so I suppose you call that some sort of relationship with. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a conscious relationship with it. Yeah. But on, on other basis, you don't really think about it a great deal. Does Does anything drive you to get something done before you die? Not really. I suppose the the only way the only way I really think about it, uh, me personally dying, is um, I think that what I really want to do is make sure I provide enough for my, my daughters. Mm -hmm. So they simply don't have to go through the struggles uh, that I went through, you know, growing up as you know, in, a, in a single parent household, um, you know, with not really that much money. Um, I, I, th I think being able to create a platform for them so that they don't have to go through those, those types of struggles is, is really important to me. Why is that important to not go through those struggles? Because I think you've turned out to be, you know, a really awesome dude. Thank you. Why? <laughs> there was much better words to use to describe you than awesome dude, but came to my mind. Um, but what's wrong with that? I think they're great struggles. Do you think you want to go through more meaningful struggles in your head, or what is it? So I think I've been very lucky. And the reason why I've been lucky is I've had a great support network around me. I've had... Uh, different points in time. I've had significant events that have happened in my life yeah. which have shaped me. Yeah. Um, but I think some of these... Some, some of these Like ricochet events where you would have gone another way. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. And I right. look at, you know, where I grew up. I look at the number of people that either go a different way. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't blame them for it. Um, but they go a different way because they've got no other choice, no other option. Um, I always want my daughters to have an option, and that's why that's why I work so hard. Yeah, uh, that's why I just want to create a platform where they simply do not are not pulled in a particular direction. Yeah, yeah. but but struggle is important, right? No, it is important. Yeah, no, it is important. So you've got to balance it with making sure that you know then. You don't lay the path too clear. Yeah, and, and they're not spoiled, and they realise that hard work is important, and they realise that you know relationships are important, and they realise that um, they, they realise struggles that I've got that, that, that I went through for them. You know, so, 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 otherwise, don't they yeah. only realise those? I'm not talking about your daughters in particular, because yeah. I'm sure they're yeah. very intelligent and wonderful young girls. But don't people only realise by experiencing it? Like, mm. I see a lot people get told yeah. and shown, and they just forget. Or they just kind of go, yeah, 
And when they actually have to do it themselves, they understand. Yeah. And the yeah. understanding part, yeah. The, yeah. the internal story they tell themselves, that's a wonderful thing because yeah. that is indelible. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so don't get me wrong. I think some sort of struggles are, are, are important, but I think struggling to... Um, being kicked out of your house um, at, at kind of 16 on your GCSE, I think that's a struggle which is 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 is, is pretty tough, eh? Um, yeah. And and okay, maybe you can only experience that. If it, maybe you can only, only that was threatened to me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah literally. Yeah, exactly. My mum left when yeah. I was 15, and my dad was like, "If you don't do this, yeah. I'm kicking you out. You can't yeah. live with your mates." Yeah, 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 yeah. And that that did create. I mean, I'm not saying yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying everyone should be kicked out. <laughs> yeah, bring this up next time you speak to a range of 16 year olds. <laughs> no, no, but I'm not saying that's going to happen. But I I think people under it taught me a lot. I go back. I mean, yeah. if I think about my drive it comes from like I was talking to um, a guest the other day about like seeing families fight over money yeah. and thinking God I never want to be in that position it created a hard coded in, in yeah. a way yeah. relationship to some things with me that were never removed yeah. Yeah. and um, I don't know I, I kind of I'm really interested in that I'm really yeah. interested into people who do fight against odds yeah uh, and look you absolutely said it there luck is a massive part of it like yeah. I'm a composite of all the relationships that I've had yeah, and all yeah. the people who took a chance on me. Yeah. There's countless managers who are like, yeah, you know, you're, you're a funny kid, you're nice to be around, but you should really work harder because, you know, yeah. I don't know why you're so confident. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you might get fired if you continue like this, you know? Um, and I look back on all those now in a kind of a, in a way of like, oh, shit, yeah. Life is like on a, on a teetered edge and I'm yeah. so lucky to have got this. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you must also value all those early experiences that when you did get an opportunity, you're like, yeah. I'm going to grab hold of this yeah. or I'm going to use this relationship or I'm going to get the most knowledge from this person. Yeah, right? no, no, you, you, you are right. So it, as I say, it's striking a balance. Um, but, you know, I look at some people I grew up with and, you know, they're in jail or they, they, or they you know, they've been... You know, been hurt seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, didn't have didn't have the support network I had. Yeah. Um, and I, I just I, I just wouldn't wish that on anybody. I yeah. just wouldn't wish on anybody. And they haven't got out of it. They're still struggling today. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I, I do think for me, it's it's just just really important that that the hard work that I that I have pay some sort of dividends yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely but, but, but I, I do get your point you know that the, the trying to trying to teach children in particular that life is a struggle yeah and you learn from your failures and actually you know you you you, you learn to empathize by building relationships and so on and so on. i think i think all, all, all these are really important really important how much has um, your relationship with, with other people contributed to your success or your kind of mental health in the workplace? I do think that we, when we start our jobs, and I, I, again, a mentor, uh, I mentioned a mentor, quite a few people. And, and one of the biggest questions I get is, you know, I'm working really hard, but nobody's really noticing it or it's not being rewarded. And one of the things I always say to people, particularly in that kind of first one to three years, when you do feel it, you do feel that the adjustment is, is is really large, is you know, build out your build out your networks, build out your relationships. Working hard in your relationships to me is just as important as doing well in your role. Mm. Every job that I've had, whether it's from Aon to Merrill's, Merrill's to Aviva, Aviva to Elgin or Legal in General. They've all been, I think, driven a lot 
by the networks that I've built and the relationships that I've built. Yeah. Never underestimate the relationships that that, that, you, that you build yeah. um, because, you know, they're just really important, not only to, not only to kind of move in jobs, but, yeah. but actually to your overall progression and actually enjoying yourself yeah. in, 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 in the workplace. Um, so don't put a towel over your head and just focus on, I need to do my job and go home. Yeah. Actually work hard on those relationships as well. Do you, do you, I mean, I use the phrase sell, but it's just what my, my position. Um, do you sell that team when people are joining as well as, you know, this is the company, this is the corporation. Do you sell the kind of the team and how the team's engaged, you know, with people who join and join the team? I do. I mean, Elgin's got a great culture as well, but um, I do think the yeah, the asset allocation team, the yeah. team that, that that we work in, it you know, it's, it, I think the culture is exceptional, yeah. and we do um, we do talk about that a lot, and, and the culture that the culture that that we've created. It's interesting. I think. Do you think you're genuinely looking at um, leaders? As they join and join your team, do you view all those new people joining from, it could be from graduation, whatever, they are going to inherit the jo- a job at some point, right? Yeah. And do you kind of remind them of that on a daily basis, like, or, or a regular basis, like, this is, you know, the future of these types of businesses is going to be handed over to people like you, you know? I, I, I try to. Yeah. I try to. I think I could probably do it more, but I think it's important to, to you know, I, I, I see people who, are more junior team in the workplace who I think, wow, you know, there's some, some real talent there, real potential that you yeah. can, that you can be a future leader of, 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 of this team. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, such a fantastic thing with the industry that's going through such change as well. New people yeah. coming in. It's such a privileged position. I get to see it from my little view of the world here, but you see people kind of enter in and develop and get better. And you're like, yeah. this is just, you know, love seeing people do well, love people yeah. you know, using the best of their resources. Yeah. I think, I think another, another thing, which is that I think is what I've, well, for, for me anyway, which, which really helps me is to really understand your weaknesses and try and seek out feedback. Mm. And in particular, negative constructive feedback because yeah. because you know if you're going to improve on those weaknesses, yeah, you need to you need to know you need to know where your weaknesses are. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. and you know, I mentioned to you that that the I want to be a better leader. Yeah, um, that's something that's that's just really really important to me. I don't think I'm a terrible leader, um, but I do recognise that there there are, there are um, ways that I can improve that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And one last quick thing I'm going to ask you. Do you think that people who maybe, um, let's say they haven't had the struggle or they have had the struggle, but they're in a position of power, do they have an absolute duty to try and kind of get behind some of these initiatives in like their own company or their own community to try and give access to people from underprivileged backgrounds and clear away all that kind of, kind of group think that led everyone of a, you know, of yeah. a certain disposition into a, a, a area of power. Do yeah. you think that's everyone's kind of duty now? I, I do. I think in particular for big organisations, I think they have a duty to go out into communities yeah. and really help people. So from an asset management perspective, for example, I think you know it's so important that asset managers as a whole go into communities and teach people how to manage their own finances. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people don't know how to do it. A lot of people don't understand, you know, the difference between ISAs and SIPs and 
um, savings and investments and equities and bonds, etc. But I think these are just really important for, for really everybody to try and understand. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I do welcome um, a lot of these community initiatives. And, you know, one of the reasons I'm proud to work for, for, for LGM or Legal in general is that we are at the forefront of driving these initiatives. And I think, so, so I think that's, that's really important. Mate, thanks so much for coming on and having a chat. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.